Hello, and welcome to Bomb Squad Matinee. I'm your host for the first time on Matinee, Ethan Hawker, and with me I have... Rain, Conversi, Tim M. Sullivan, Tanner Richard Kraft, I'm Austin Zwiebelman, and we are joined for their fourth time overall, uh, first time on a matinee, by... Lauren DeVito! They don't hate us yet. I love you guys. Uh, Come on. Yeah, and we love you too. Uh, And we're super excited to have you with us as we return to that banner year of 1973 uh, to discuss Rene Lalo's psychedelic animated SF classic, Fantastic Planet. Um, Before we dive in immediately, uh, Lauren... Our Chicago-based friend, um, I just wanted to give you the opportunity at the front to uh, plug any projects, uh, anything like that. Uh, Just introduce yourself to those who might have missed the previous appearances, too. Yeah, definitely. So I'm Lauren. Um, I've been on this podcast, I think, three previous times. I was on for the Barbie movie and Goodwill Hunting and uh, Groundhog Day, because Groundhog Day is my birthday. Um, Yeah, haven't really had anything to plug in the way of anything creative lately because this fall I got hit by a car uh, and I just, you know, I just haven't been feeling real creative. I've kind of been uh, focused on healing my broken legs. So happy to be on here with y'all tonight. Uh, And yeah, really, really happy to kind of be back in the saddle and writing things again. (laughs) Well, we're very happy to have you and extremely sorry to hear about the incident with the car. Jeez. It's great to have you back as we dive into the wild and wonderful Franco-Czech co-production that is a fantastic planet. Uh, Before we dive in straight in, I want to do a kind of very brief preamble uh, talking about it. Um, So first, we're going to go back to the year uh, 1982. No, 1892. Uh, That's a weird thing. Um, Not like a super well-known thing about uh, animation history is that uh, animation arguably predates like cinema. Uh, with uh, Emil Eno's um, Theater Optique. Uh, the first film to use perforations and to be publicly exhibited um, was, was his adaptation of Porpello. And, and of course, the first uh, theatrically exhibited cell animation, what we think of, uh, is Emil Cole's uh, 1908 film, The Phantasmagorie. Uh, the Emil Cole Prize, as we all know, was given to René Lalo for his work with mental patients in the late 50s and early 60s, particularly uh, the Densine, um the monkey's teeth, uh, which is a, a wonderfully weird sort of uh, Kafka-esque, quote-unquote, I guess, uh, Lynchian, uh, dreamlike, other buzzwords. Uh, really interesting short film from 1960 uh, that would uh, ultimately lead to him working with illustrator Roland Topor on a couple short films in Le Temor and Le Escargot, uh, both of which... Uh, would directly result in him helming an animated feature that began production in 1967. Um, a lot of those previous films used like uh, a variety of techniques, but most primarily like cutout animation, uh, primarily illustrating uh, Topor's, uh, uh, animating rather, uh, Topor's illustrations. Um, and uh, with a few grants in hand, uh, he started work in 1967 on Fantastic Planet, uh, which would be completed in 1973 uh, due to several production stoppages because, uh, fun fact, Eastern Europe, kind of a nightmare (laughs) to work in in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, uh, So you kind of get where we're coming at here. You know, it's uh, co-production between France 
and uh, then Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic. Uh, sort of fraught, made by some artsy-fartsy weirdos uh, in uh, Roland Topor, an illustrator, Daddy's Boy, uh, many other things, uh, and Rene Lalo, who's best known for working with metal patients uh, on several animated films, uh, which are good and impressive. Um, and that leads us into a completely unrelated <laughs> introductory question, uh, which is, what is your favorite movie about an alien world? Starting us off, Tanner. Oh, boy. Okay, so um, when I first saw this warm-up question, I thought to myself, this shit easy. And then I looked at the amount of movies I like, and I was like, wow, there's actually not that... There's a lot of sci-fi, but, like, there's not that many movies about specifically just a alien world. Like, if I wanted to be yes. fast and loose with the definition, I could be boring and say Star Wars, but I won't say that because that'd be boring. Um, <clears throat> you said alien world. So... Um, I looked at all the movies that's on, like, my all-time favorite movies list, and I landed on a specific one, uh, which came out, if I remember correctly, around the same time as this movie, maybe a year before this movie, uh, which is, in what, in my opinion, Andre Tarkovsky's masterpiece, uh, Solaris, um, is one of my all-time favorite sci-fi movies. It's my favorite Tarkovsky movie. I know that may be blasphemous when Stalker exists, but I've always just been a sci-fi boy at my heart. Um, it's, I, I think, a really brilliant movie, and it's, you know, obviously about an alien world. There might not necessarily be aliens in it, but alien just means not of here. So um, I could watch Solaris every day for a week and I think just, like, never get bored of it, which is impressive considering that's, like, a three-hour movie. Uh, and if you, my friend, are interested in watching Andre Tarkovsky Solaris, uh, you can pause the video you're watching right now. Go to the search bar. I guarantee you there's a high-quality upload of it on this website. <laughs> yep. Uh, because copyright in the Soviet Union, not really a thing. So, yeah. uh, um, It absolutely was a thing and directly contributes to the limited distribution of several classic animated films. Uh, however, Solaris does, in fact, uh, whip ass. Go watch it. Um, yeah, watch Solaris. Great, it's on YouTube. Great, I guarantee it. <laughs> great movie. Great novel. I uh, love uh, Lemon's Then is Love. Uh, Tim, favorite movie about an alien world? Yeah, I, I kind of had similar issues with Tanner because uh, I like, there are a lot of movies I like that involve aliens, but it's usually either them coming to Earth or they're on a spaceship. Uh, so not not quite as many that are actually exploring the worlds, um, but uh, the film I'm going to talk about today is actually a short film, a uh, short animated film from 2016 called Scavengers. Um, it's a very interesting animated short, um, just showing some people, ex- some scientists exploring this alien world and showing this, these uh just crazy animations, very like psychedelic looking animations of like the aliens and the life forms on the planet. Uh, it's just a, a really solid eight minute short. Again, you can watch this on YouTube. It's eight minutes. Uh, go go do it. Um, uh, but it also recently inspired a series called Scavengers Rain, uh, which is uh, I finally watched the first episode of the other day, uh, and that that's a really good show um at least from what i've seen uh i would definitely recommend checking that out uh warner discovery is a fucking dumpster fire right now but this is the kind of project that i would recommend giving some support to uh if you're able so scavengers slash scavengers reign that's my pick back to you Ethan. 
Heck yeah. Uh, I did didn't specify what type of film too but shorts are a really great vector for for movies about weird and fun landscapes um and i've heard excellent things about scavengers rain i really need to check it out for myself uh looks incredible speaking of rain rain (laughs) what's your favorite movie Um, about an alien world like everyone else i guess i also struggled to find a movie that fit this criteria um I so yeah, I guess if I was sticking to the literal interpretation of the question, um, after thinking long and hard, I guess I would go with The Martian. It's um, it's a really well made movie. Probably it's like it's gotta be really Scott's best movie of like the twenty first century. It's not, I mean, not like the best track record. <laughs> everyone started yeah. to tense up when you said best Ridley Scott movie. Everyone went. Then he said twenty oh, first oh, century, uh, and everyone went. Definitely of the last the decade. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's oh, up easily for, for debate. But um. I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's it's a great movie, you know, human perseverance against the hardest landscape of Mars, yada, yada. But, like, I feel like my actual answer would be, um, would have to be, like, The Land of Oz. And, but, but, um, specifically not The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 version, um, which is great, wonderful, still holds up great. Um, I see it's great twice. Uh, but my favorite version specifically would be the, um, would be the weird 80s quasi sequel uh return to oz <laughs> oh yeah um, that is is arguably my favorite uh kids movie it is um i not, yeah i think um in pertains to this you know it's not you know literally alien world i am i'm not i'm more of a fantasy guy than a sci-fi guy i um it is i think it just really captures um it just has like this right balance between like being really weird and dark and but like also childlike whimsy that really that's really just perfect for me and I, um, yeah, just, it feels like an alien world in a, you know, in a looser sense of the word alien. And it's amazing. And I love it. And, uh, man, I haven't done one of these in forever. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get exactly what you're saying, uh, both about not doing one of these in a while, but also uh, describing the Land of Oz as a particularly alien world. I think that's a completely fair sort of take because it is sort of like a fantasy setting uh is is oz an isekai hmm question i question i almost i almost went with um mad god for this Uh, i was like this is more of a hell world like it's still it's still capturing the spirit of the question but in that case i changed my answer to the 2004 doom movie starring dwayne the rock johnson hell yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> favorite movie about an alien world. Our Father Jesus Christ, please stop giving me your toughest battles. <laughs> it is so fucking hard to pick which Paul Verhoeven movie to choose for this answer. Do I pick Starship Troopers or do I pick Total Recall? I'm not fucking picking on the Silver Globe, okay? I'm gonna live my life and have fun with it and embrace fun things, okay? Uh, probably gonna pick Starship Troopers, though. You see, it's kind of clever. In Fantastic Planet, the giant blue drugs treat humans like insects, even though they have feelings and don't deserve to get massacred. And in Starship Troopers, the humans treat the bugs like insects, even though they have feelings and don't deserve to get massacred. In a way, they're the exact same movie. As Roger Ebert once famously said, there is a certain French quality about Starship Troopers. So yeah, I'm picking the 1988 Starship Troopers OVA for 1,000 points. Our gracious host, Ethan, loves the Starship Troopers OVA, don't you, Ethan? 
Uh, famously, uh, it's great. It's the key to success and true happiness. We can make it. Whoa, whoa. We Am I having a can stroke? make it. You thought the animation in Fantastic Planet was, was minimal? You're not prepared for opening number two of the Starship Troopers OVA. It's just a bird for two minutes. Is this minutes. real? Yeah, it's real. Is this a Starship Troopers OVA? Go look Our it up. Leaks. Ethan was hiding this from me? It's not good. I've, I've been protecting you, Tanner. You don't understand. <laughs> I love Kazutaka Miyatake's mechanical designs. That's it. That's all it's got. Uh... Uh, I mean, no, it's good. Go watch it. Uh, they somehow did the same thing where they made uh, the Puerto Rican a blonde with blue eyes. Um, uh, very incredible. Uh, sorry. Um, but no, that's a that's a really good answer. Starship Troopers. Uh, great movie. Uh, the Paul Verhoeven one. Uh, really fun. I uh, love it. Taking the piss out of Robert Heinlein. A, a terrible man whose fiction I loathe. Uh, just immediately going into hot takes. Uh, <laughs> Lauren, Good what is your favorite movie about an alien world? Yeah, you know, I've got to go with Austin and say my favorite is also one that's about kind of a, an insect race of aliens. Uh, and I'm going with the 1902 short film, A Trip to the Moon. Uh, I think it's really charming. I. Yeah, I love that you get to see like a, a good look at like, you know, early filmmaking and set design and everything like that. It's a adorable movie uh, and it's 14 minutes long and we just we don't need any more three hour movies. 14 minutes is enough. It's enough. <laughs> I think film I, um... in general, uh, once you got away from the limitation of one reel, just really went downhill. Uh, yeah. No, I think I think A Trip to the Moon is a great pick. Um, speaking of, you know, like early uh, cinema and that sort of thing. Thank you for kind of tying that into my intro. That worked out kind of nicely because uh, that's a that's a really wonderful film that has a lot of interesting things going on about it, like the fact that it's, uh, every individual copy had to be like hand painted for coloring and that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of wonderful stuff. Those Lumiere films are all incredible treasures uh, and should be cherished for all. Time. I like the shot of the rocket in the moon. It's Very iconic. Good, yeah. good shot. There's a really good parody of it on Futurama. They're like. Oh, I got. I think they're at like a boardwalk, and there's like a like character walking around, and he gets like hit in the eye with I think a beer bottle from Bender. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I could be making this up, but it's definitely there was a. That sounds of familiar. Yeah. My favorite movie about an alien world. Um, this one was again kind of hard because I, my instinct was the Transformers the movie, uh, but that's about many alien worlds. Um, so uh, trimming it down a little bit, uh, probably my overall favorite is going to be the. 1986 Koichi Mashimo um, animated feature Dirty Pair, Project Eden, um, which is the uh, Dirty Pair animated feature film. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Koichi Mashimo is uh, best known um, for probably directing Dirty Pair, Project Eden, but he also directed a lot of really great uh, Gals with Guns kind of material. Um, and uh, Dirty Pair, Project Eden is just a really pretty movie. Like, it's incredibly attractive and colorful, even when they're, like, there is a lot of, like, metallic interiors, but they end up just being, like, like complex and foreboding. Um, there's a lot of extremely expressive, fun animation, and, of course, the banter between Kay and Yuri, uh, the eponymous Dirty Pair, uh, is a lot of fun. Uh I just kind of love it. Um, it's difficult uh, to articulate. The soundtrack is also incredible. Just a really fun sort of peppy uh, J-pop soundtrack. Um, and it, it all culminates in a really kind of special uh, feature that encapsulates a lot of the, the joy of uh, the Dirty Pair uh, 
like television series and OVA. Um, it's probably my favorite material from like the larger franchise, uh, even there. Um, and it's got a lot of fun, like weirdo aliens and uh, some cool set pieces. Uh, not as many like landscapes and stuff like Pharaoh and Nolandia, uh, but uh, everything is so heightened in general uh, that I can't help but feel that it really wonderfully captures a super alien setting in that way. So that's my pick. <laughs> um, but now that we've discussed alien worlds, uh, it's time to move on uh, to our actual thoughts on Fantastic Planet and Yigam, the alien world prominently featured in Fantastic Planet. Um, so I wanted to get uh, bird's eye view overall thoughts as per usual um, on the film. Uh, Tim, if you'd like to start us off here. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic Planet is just a great uh, classic science fiction film. Like, Obviously, looking over that first question, I kept wanting to go, Fantastic Planet. No, that's the movie we're talking about. Uh, can't do that one. Yeah. Um, but it, it just, it so perfectly encapsulates that uh, just idea of seeing this world uh, and all of its eccentricities. Um, admittedly, I think the first time I watched this, I largely got kind of lost in the visuals of it. Uh, I think with something this like artistically driven, it can be very easy to focus on that and not see the forest for the trees. But uh, th this time I definitely uh, got the moral message, which is that when a man starts singing opera at you, the morally correct thing to do is to choke him violently. Um, <laughs> I okay that... brief uh, intermission because as soon as that scene happened, Tanner messaged me and said. Uh, that's that's what you want to do to me every time I sing, uh, <laughs> and, I was, and all I could think of was good bit, objectively correct, but also good bit. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a great film uh, with a you know great message about uh, an oppressed people uprising. Um, I looked on the Wikipedia and it was talking about how like a lot of people were taking, you know, either messages of racism, which is you know largely what I got. But then there's also this degree of like uh, animal cruelty to the message. And it's just kind of like, you know, you can take whatever allegory you want. Uh, it's all correct. Um, and I, yeah, I think there's just a lot to that, which I appreciate. Um, and again, just a visually stunning movie like austin mentioned before yes the, the animation is very limited but uh it makes up for that in spades with just everything it's able to do uh with that limited animation just stylistically um just just a great animated piece uh and uh i'll i'll leave the rest to the rest of the dais here but uh let, let, so, suffice to say, movie good. Back to you. <laughs> movie good. Movie fantastique. Um, hey. No, I, I'm really glad uh, you enjoyed it so much. And I think, yeah, I think that's sort of what you can come away with. It is um, almost like a children's story or that sort of thing. It is, um, there's a lot of allegory to sort of be picked uh, yeah. from this work. I think the, the racial allegory is probably the one um, mm, that, yeah. that stands up most prominently. But again, like animal cruelty or um, even like just uh, human complacency and over-reliance mm. on, on technology uh, in a way that sort of uh, stifles our ability to communicate with nature and that sort of thing uh, is arguably, you know, a, a pretty big theme of this here movie. Um, yeah. But again... Uh, also, it, it, 
real quick uh you mentioned it being like sort of like a kid's movie i also read that this apparently was the first pg animated film uh Mm -hmm. which also i think today it would be fucking rated r uh because there's so much nudity and violence and blood and death uh just just wild what you could get away with in the 70s yeah, you no, know, uh, I saw that it was rated PG, and I'm like, inexplicable. I don't think the MPAA actually watched it. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know how this, this happened. They, they were just like, okay, this is definitely not G, but it's cartoon, so for baby, right? The, yeah. the American distributor just like went to the MPAA and said, PG, please. And they said, fine. You know, if the parents say you can see himself. the cartoon boobies, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lalo himself said it's it's French. We, bo- boobies are legal there. You have to understand. That and should be like MPAA on the French flag. Like, I want that printed on the French flag. Boobies are legal here. It's, it's, if um, like all of Lalo's films are are kind of like this. Uh, Gandahar especially, uh, but in Fantastic Planet, there's there's also a lot of it. <laughs> um. um but no, uh, yeah, it's a really special, very visually driven film, um, and I'm uh, glad uh, you had a good time with it. Uh, Rain, overall thoughts? All right, another reoccurring theme here, where where we we uh, we come for the we come for the the crazy unique visuals, and then we stay for the um, for the allegory on racism. I um, right. the work allegory. I thought it um, it communicated the ideas clearly um, and effectively. I feel like, um, I guess the way it reminded me, what I was reminded most of was sort of the world, War of the World style of, um, social commentary where it's like, what if, um, the, what if the, the oppressor, um, was some alien and, and the oppressed looked like you, uh, assumed, um, audience member who, I assume this was just a French production. I didn't know it was, um, also done with, um, Czechoslovakia. So I just, in my head, I was like, oh, this is, um. You know, this is these are supposed to be French people who are seeing what uh, colonial colonialism and all that feels like. That's what the um, vibe I was getting from it, and um, I don't know. I thought I can see arguments for and against that sort of that style of um, social commentary. Anyway, um, the scene where the 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 drug kids were um, were like playing with the um, um humans um, like little, little play things. I thought it was just a nice little bit of commentary on like how social ills are normalized and encouraged to continue on to new generations um other than that yeah it's um yeah i think a um yeah just a very a very not exactly appropriate for kids but it is kind of yeah a a kid's fairy tale is kind of a a good way of imagining it i feel like um and yeah uh back to you ethan yeah, no, I, I think that's completely correct. I think it has, again, the quality of like a, a 19th century, um, like uh, both artistically and in terms of content in a lot of ways, like a, like a children's book. Um, in the one of the interviews, I know Lalo describes it as having a Rabelaisian sort of um, absurdist humor quality to it, uh, which I, I def- definitely tracks. Um, but again, it, there, there is a weird like naivete uh, to its whole framing that I, I greatly appreciate um, and I think really helps it land. I feel like if it was super stark and serious, um, it wouldn't be nearly as effective because um, there it is knowing. Uh, sometimes not so much. <laughs> sometimes it's it's clear that it's just a quality of the visuals uh, being a little silly or a little uh, awkward. But um, I think it is 
um, very effective at delivering its its allegory in a package that uh, contains multitudes. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, Austin, uh, your overall thoughts on the film? Uh, well, first thing I want to say is kind of basic, uh, but this is to me a cor- a cornerstone of stoner cinema. There are few experiences quite like the first time you get baked and watch Fantastic Planet. For I'm about per- to watch Fantastic Planet for the fourth time in my life. Hell yeah, baby! <laughs> uh, for today's purposes, and kind of for the sake of being entertaining, if not a bit reductive, I'd wager to say there's like two types of stoner flicks. There's movies that become more enjoyable when you're baked. Stuff like Caddyshack, The Big Lebowski... Muppet Treasure Island, uh, laughter and good vibes kind of films. Then there's movies that benefit massively from that extra amount of thought that people pay when they're under the influence of a psychoactive substance. Stuff like Inherent Vice, Koyanis Katsi, Fantastic Planet. This movie is chocked full of 1970s surrealist imagery where it's easy to project a certain, whoa, man, this says a lot about society onto it. And uh, that's what you're supposed to do here. That's the intended effect. They've got this episode of this old French TV show called Italiques, included as like a bonus feature on the Blu-ray. And you can find the the illustrator, Roland Topor, saying that he liked to think of his art as sort of a container that people fill with their own interpretations. And, and while you don't necessarily have to get high to participate, it certainly can help people get like immersed in the presentation. The second thing I want to note here was the way that this movie emphasizes the drug culture's prominent fascination with meditation. It's the main focus of their society. They basically use meditation-induced astral projection in order to, like, have sex and do intergalactic diplomacy. And just like us, they really like having sex. Uh, There's this really thought-provoking parallel going on between people as the dominant species on earth where where you can mostly contribute our that to like our super developed brains and the drugs as this the dominant species on yam who seem to have reached this stage in their evolution of their intelligence where it made them feel almost comically detached from important elements of physical reality you see one great flaw of the human mind is due to our particular brand of metacognition our, our potent sense of self-awareness that somehow differs from, like, Axel the Parrot or Coco the Gorilla is that sometimes we convince ourselves that we are uniquely separate from nature. We've got transistor gates uh, that are, like, one carbon atom thick. We have cloned more than 20 different types of beast. Uh, we can talk to each other across oceans in a matter of milliseconds, but we're also haunted by our tendency to fuck up really simple things. Uh, Simple things like living in harmony with nature, uh, not oppressing other living creatures, stuff that really bites you in the ass later. And and this movie makes that so easily digestible by doing a a Planet of the Apes story where the people are the apes. And it's so delightfully in tune with the sort of Tim Leary version of the 70s that the drugs are so detached from physical reality, even though they can literally teleport their minds to the moon. Uh, This is the future that we're heading towards if we let those hippies keep dropping acid. We're gonna get dunked on by the secret world of Ariadne motherfuckers. Speaking of Leary, Fantastic Planet is a French-Czech co-production. Here's a little Bomb Squad exclusive history lesson. 
after LSD was first synthesized by Albert Hoffman at Sandoz Laboratories in 1938, for a long time, Sandoz was the only place in the world that knew how to synthesize the compound. The second group in the world that cracked LSD synthesis were pharmacists in Prague, the capital of former Czechoslovakia. Sometime around 1961, you used to be able to get LSD in Czechoslovakia from your doctor. There was a metric fuckload of acid floating around in specifically that country. And I think all this is significant because, you you know, the whole way the movie is. <laughs> all in all, Fantastic Planet is a really special kind of movie. Rare Bird, not many others like it. Uh, it has qualities you probably won't find anywhere else. Uh, it's Monty Python cutout animation. It's distinct 70s synthesizer sounds. And God, do I love those zoom-ins on people's static expressions. Uh, Fantastic Planet is a bicycle for the mind. Uh, go ride it. Back to you, Ethan. No, that's uh, that, a lot of really great insight there, particularly um, regarding uh, reading more into the psychoactive uh, qualities um, and th thematic, both uh, thematic content and, uh, you know, uh, diegetic narrative content uh, in that way. I think uh, the that's something that eludes me a little bit as someone who's... Um, uh, miserable narc and square uh who doesn't really do drug um i'm not really a narc but i am a square um you narc uh, on me all the time that's uh, but that's true. because uh you deserve it yeah yeah it's called justice <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> justice yeah exactly he gets it um i i am the ohms and you're that guy who's stepping on all the ohms in the park you have to understand <laughs> you're the drug um I'm the guy that dies. I, I, when when you when you die, your eyelids are going to do a crossfade and cover your eyeballs. You're not going. I'm not going to close them. It's just going to be a film transition. That's how you I don't know think, you made it. As I don't a film think maker. I'm cool enough to be the guy that gets killed. I'm the fucking coward that runs away. I think. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, sure. I don't know why that really got me. Mostly because I thought about his run cycle, and it's very funny. <laughs> Imagine, imagine watching your best friend get owned by a bunch of tiny dudes in fruity leotards. Be like if, like, like a bunch of like beetles just like took me down. If John, Paul, George, and Ringo took me down. <laughs> this, this is what they're always talking about when they talk about the the urban legend about them playing the hobbits. Um, I, I, I had more cogent uh, responses uh, to. Uh, Austin's <laughs> commentary. I swear. Um, no, the the site, the especially the the bits about Prague and that sort of thing. Uh, spotlighting this, this is a a Czech production that also um, explains so much about uh, everything they were doing <laughs> and both the Czech New Wave and all their wonderful stop motion animations. Uh, oh my God! Sorry, I'm still recovering. <laughs> Oh. That's okay. Take your time. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, uh, Tanner, your overall thoughts on the film. <clears throat> so, like I said before, I think I said this before. This might have been before the recording. Regardless, um, I haven't seen this movie up until before about an hour ago. So, I don't even think I really knew what this movie was about. Um, I had, like, no idea. Like, I thought it was just about blue people. Um, and then I realized I was, I was watching Avatar, so I put on the correct movie, and then it was still about blue people. But then these little humans showed up, and this still sounds like Avatar. Hold on a minute. Um, <laughs> no. 
I've I've back I've reverse engineered Avatar out of this movie somehow. Um, James Cameron then thank me later. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really know what to expect going into it. I had really no idea what it was about, and um, uh, my first takeaway from the movie, Austin touched on this briefly, it was um, how impressive the music is. Um, it's not a very traditional film score at all. I swear to God, I heard some electric guitars in there at some point, though maybe that's just... I, I, I sometimes confuse synths and electric guitars. I don't know why. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was electric guitars. Um, which is always cool to hear in a film score. You don't really, that's not really a traditional instrumentation, but the instrumentation of the score in general is very unique and, um, leads to a very interesting, dare I say, alien sound that, uh, really, uh, adds to the atmosphere and the vibes of the movie. Um, my second primary takeaway, um, I thought was despite the more minimal animation, just how gorgeous it was. Gorgeous? What the fuck is a gorgeous, Tanner? How gorgeous it was. Um, I from the opening scene of just this like you see this mom and her child running and you're like what's going on and the next thing you know this giant fucking blue hand comes out of nowhere and just starts flicking her and I was like oh shit okay so like these these dudes are like hella tall compared to us um <clears throat> excuse me and I, I just sort of felt myself absorbed, just totally absorbed in the picture. Uh, really only opened my phone to text Ethan that he would commit great acts of violence on me if I ever dare express joy in his presence by singing. Um, <laughs> as Ethan alluded to earlier, alluded to, said. Um, what's the difference? Um, and... I just felt myself be totally absorbed in it. Um, and I'm going to lightly step on a hot grenade here and say about halfway through the movie, um, I thought to myself, I'm going to be vague about this because I'd like to be employable in the future. Um, how relevant to our current moment in time this movie felt? If you've seen the movie, you'll understand what I mean. Um really relevant right now um and i think a mark of a great movie is that uh it, almost unfortunately in this case how much it themes can resonate um even 50 years later how uh relevant and uh resonant they can still be um and i thought it was really wonderful Exploration of the you know anti-racist themes, the anti-oppression themes, um, and uh, specifically, I also got a lot of vibes of like my, my read of the movie was almost fifty-fifty at being an allegory for oppression, but also about uh, how we need to treat the environment around us better. About twenty, honestly, until the halfway point, I was only really getting the environmentalism read. I think it was around the time that uh, Tara, our main character, escaped. That I, I I think I started to put two and two together about what this was an allegory for, um, and I I think it's really wonderful. Um, I will say that. Um, but I also thought of the animation. While it is beautiful, it also reminded me of the kind of movie that I would accidentally, as a seven year old, just discover while flipping channels and cable and just become absolutely terrified of what I was witnessing, because I was watching TV after eleven p.m. and my mom said no, but I was breaking the rules and this is my punishment. Um. 
I do have to say that there was one little weird thing about the movie to me, which is that like the last five to eight minutes are incredibly rushed. Like we go from we go from, hey, we might be able to escape this planet before they genocide us to, hey, we fixed everything and now we learn about it in school. Like that felt so incredibly rushed that it gave me whiplash. And I and I'm sure, as Ethan alluded to earlier, there were a bunch of fucking delays, budgetary constraints, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons why this movie isn't longer. But I really wish it could have expanded upon like another 10, 15, 20 at the most minutes, I think could have really fleshed out the movie more. And um, I, I think really drive those points home because as it stands that like the last 10 minutes is like, we go from, oh fuck, we're going to die. We know how to build rockets, destroy their religious sites. Everything's fixed in 10 minutes. And and it's 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 very rushed. I, I still enjoy it. I, I just think that uh, that is like if I were to be a nitpicking asshole, I just wish that they could have fleshed upon that uh, fleshed upon fleshed out that ending a little more. Uh, it's still a, a very brilliant movie, though, and I'm um, I would like to thank you, Ethan, for introducing me to it. Um, you introduced me to a lot of uh, animated movies that aren't from America or Japan, and I, I find myself enjoying a lot of them. So thank you. Back to you. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, one, one comment that immediately jumps to mind uh, after you said that is uh, allegory is kind of the watchword. Uh, and there's a, there's a track in the Utana soundtrack, allegory, allegory, or allegoryist. Um, and that, that's, that's all I can think of because this, this movie is, is functioning at the allegoryist level, I think. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> no, uh, a few comments. Uh, the um, Regarding the end of the film, I know the producer mentioned that five sequences had to be cut. Um from the overall okay. feature, so uh, yeah, that, that that is likely part of it. I, I'm, I'm of two minds of it. I think that it's it's very short runtime is ultimately to its benefit because there are already kind of bits that uh, drug, a little bit. Uh, but overall, it's uh, it's sad that we couldn't see that uh, finished animation in some capacity, which is nice. I guess we have to read the novels like a bunch of jerks. Um, but I can't I can't read French. Uh, you're learning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're fired. You're going to. Be, we're going to lock you up in a monastery, uh, so you can do nothing but learn French, so you can translate alms and siri. Again? Um, no. <laughs> uh, no. Um, but I th- uh, a lot of cogent points. I'm mostly just very glad you enjoyed it as much as you did. Um, that opening, especially, uh, is. Uh, incredibly, uh, like it, it draws you in very well. I think um, this and Lolo's follow-up, uh, Time Masters, Le Maitre du Tem, both do a really great job of having like very powerful, like cold opens, kind of, um, that um, or NBDLA openings uh, that uh, drag you in uh, in a good way. Um, that sheer level of violence. Uh, and the uh, just kinetic energy, the way it cuts so frantically in a way that we don't really see a whole lot throughout the rest of the film is so, so good. Um, but I, I won't go on for too, too long. Uh, moving on to our special guest. <laughs> Lauren, your overall thoughts on the film? 
Yeah. Um, well, thanks again for having me on. Um, Fantastic Planet is definitely like a departure from some of the other movies I've been on to talk about. Um, but I think, you know, as Tanner was saying, it's really topical to talk about this movie right now specifically. Um, this movie is about using literacy specifically to uh, overcome your oppressors. And I think that America, you know, since we're currently puppeteering two proxy wars, one of them being a genocide, it's important that we talk about how to fight that. Um, so I first heard of Fantastic Planet in college when I would always see people sharing screenshots and gifs of the film on Tumblr. Um, the Tumblr film girlies really loved this movie, like exactly as much as they loved every 90s Harmony Korean movie. Um, <laughs> I lived in the dorms when I was in college and I was really scared of getting caught for piracy. So I never torrented Fantastic Planet back then. And then I just kind of forgot about it. Uh, but enter last fall, someone close to me gave me some shrooms and I thought, what better way to relax than eat my psilocybin, uh, take a bath, and watch a psychedelic movie with my laptop propped up on the toilet? Uh, that turned out to actually be a bad plan. Right as I started tripping, I got a news app notification that said Aaron Carter dead at 34. Uh, <laughs> state, I watched Fantastic Planet, and it really did not make me feel much better, unsurprisingly. But it is a beautifully animated movie, so it was fun to watch on drugs. Kind of like the first Avatar movie, but Fantastic Planet's actually good. Um, there are a few central themes of this movie, uh, the importance of knowing your oppressor's language, tactics, and dog whistles, um, that the retaliation oppressed people inflict upon their military superpower oppressors will never equal the aggression they were subjected to in the first place, and that oppressed people are well within their rights to strike back, and that unity and the cessation of infighting are absolutely necessary to have a successful uprising. Um, I want to talk about two of these themes in a little bit more depth the Ohm's retaliation against the drugs, and that unity is central to any humanitarian uprising. So when Tara's little, he's playing with Tiva while she does her makeup, and he plays a prank on her where he switches out her white blush makeup for black makeup and then ruins the look that she was trying to put together. And so in retaliation, Tiva blows the black makeup into Tara's face, nearly choking him, uh, and then as an added punishment, she summons up a storm cloud to intermittently drench Tear, uh, basically, you know, simulating drowning to him. Uh, so the punishment that Tear receives far outweighs the prank that he played on Tiva. Uh, this serves as a kind of symbol of the type of damage that people with huge military superpowers behind them can inflict onto the people they're oppressing without even really trying. Uh, when the drugs are trying to hurt the ohms, they can do serious, serious damage. They carpet bomb the ohms communities, asphyxiating and poisoning every ohm in their vicinity. Even just using their bodies, they can stamp on the ohms with their feet, killing dozens of them with little effort. Uh, compared to the retaliation by the ohms, whose casualties included a single drug and the statues that the drugs used to meditate, the destruction caused by the ohms doesn't even come close to reaching the same magnitude. All of the lessons that the Ohms learn about the drugs come from Tiva's headset, which Tara took with him when he escaped captivity. And I refuse to stay still here because he was well within his rights to take that when it was his lifeline. Uh, this headset winds up being the source of initial resistance by the savage Ohms, especially the bandits who we meet later. But ultimately, after learning that it is completely necessary to learn the drugs tactics to avoid being exterminated, all of the Ohms realize there's only one way forward and that's uniting together. Um, a really nice symbolic touch that I really liked in the Rocket City scenes is that the Ohms are all dressed alike, kind of symbolizing unity, organization, and coalition. And they're able to work together efficiently because they've set aside their differences, uh, stopped infighting, and learned a way to work toward a common goal. They make a snap decision to hit the drugs where it hurts when they visit Fantastic Planet. This is where the Ohms catch the drugs meditating, 
joining with species from other planets to ensure the continuation of their species. Uh, the Ohms did not know about this mating ritual because this was not included in the lessons that they received through Tiva's earphones. And it's funny how even the drugs keep the mystery of sex a secret from their children. The Ohms... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The Ohms used their disintegration ray on their rockets uh, to destroy the statues the drogs used for their mating rituals and disrupt disrupt the drog meditation tantric sex dance. This makes the drogs feel tortured, confused, and disoriented. Uh, the drogs love to meditate, and I think this is symbolic of how they themselves or they, they view themselves as higher beings. Um, it also seems to me like this movie has in a way predicted the future because in present day, 50 years later, the right wing has completely cornered the spirituality and wellness market. This type of white person is almost always a Nazi. In attacking the things that give the drugs pleasure, they are able to effectively appeal to the drugs and make their pleas to stop their genocide heard. The drugs call a council meeting to discuss how to stop the alms uh, and come to the conclusion that they must make peace. And this is, you know, completely in contrast to earlier in the film where one of them gets killed and they're like, well, we have to up our extermination because we're the victims. <laughs> it's really hard to watch this movie and not draw parallels between the Ohms learning the language of their oppressor oppressors and reporters like Motaz, Izan, Plestia, and so many others on the ground pleading with the West in plain English. This is so unique to other conflicts we've witnessed in our lifetime. And in terms of drumming up civilian support, it's been massively effective. Um, unfortunately, where I think this film falls a little flat is its ending. The film concludes with a drug child receiving a new lesson about the history of the aggressions of the drugs inflicted on the Ohms. Um, and in this way, we receive kind of a micro epilogue about the fate of the Ohms. Uh, the solution winds up being literally a two-state solution. The drugs get to keep their satellite fantastic planet for meditation and the Ohms create uh, an artificial satellite planet for themselves to live peacefully away from the drugs. Um, they call this planet Terra after the planet they initially came from. But something I just thought about as Tanner was talking is this little epilogue we get is only from the drug perspective. And it kind of reads to me a little bit like Americans teach children about the first Thanksgiving. Like, oh, we created peace and mm. harmony. And it's like, no, you actually created something way fucking worse, but at least you're not killing them anymore, I guess. Uh, in my opinion, you know, that solution is kind of spineless and it's not a topical solution for any conflict we have in the world today, which turns this film into, you know, ultimately a little tiny bit of a disappointment. Um, you know, we don't have the ability to create artificial new lands for oppressed people out of thin air. And while I commend this movie for conveying the message that oppressed people are well within their rights to fight back against genocide, I don't necessarily feel that advocating segregation is the answer either. However, the ending is the only thing I can meaningfully critique about this movie, and we shouldn't be looking to an art house film for the right answers to all of our problems anyway. Yeah, that's a, a, a lot of incredible points there. I, I think, yeah, particularly spotlighting the relationship. Um, that, that was certainly on my mind as well, uh, the, the relationship uh, between this film and um, how it may uh, connect, obviously not intentionally, but uh, it still does, uh, to the Israel-Palestine conflict, uh, particularly if uh, looking to a historical example, um, the uh, Algerian War uh, is certainly, you know, the sort of prior conflict to this one that obviously jumps to mind, um, but, you know, uh, similar in a lot of ways about, you know, a colonized people rising up, uh, uh, or not even rising up, but just responding to aggression, uh, really, um, from the, col the colonizer. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's, 
completely fair, particularly in, you know, the film's final act, ostensibly. Uh, that's um, very, very clear um, in the completely disproportionate response to, you know, a single drug being killed uh, is, uh, is ostensibly to an act of genocide um, uh, against the Alms. The um, conclusion, if I were to not defend it, but um, I think it's something where the practicality uh, like the practicality of the science fiction kind of interferes with the allegory in the sense that you probably would want a dedicated space for these people just because of the difference in scale and the danger that the wildlife um onyam uh, poses to the uh alms but because uh, because it's also sort of suggested that they do directly interact you see the um drag removing the the goofy outfit um, but again, I think that's a, it's a, it's a completely reasonable critique to be clear, uh, to say, because obviously again, it's the practicality interfering with the messaging that it's building to, um, which I think they, they tow that line about as well as they can, all things considered, but it is still, um, again, just a quality of it being so rushed to missing those sequences. It, um, maybe not as satisfying as it could be. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that's a great, uh, intellectual sort of analysis um i wholeheartedly agree uh and uh thank you for being the one to so elegantly uh describe uh, how it uh, reflects the israel-palestine conflict because um i had some intention to uh but i doubt i could have done it quite so well uh so thank you as always um of my own thoughts in brief uh the fantastic planet is a really uh, curious kind of movie um, I tend to lump it in with the two other animated films of 1973 targeted at more adult audiences, um, Belladon of Sadness and Heavy Traffic, in that they're both uh, interesting beasts, visually unique, uh, often like kind of segmented and episodic uh, in their, their structure, um, and you know made on the cheap, all things considered, but the results are incredibly distinct visuals and narratives in the uh, world of... Uh, theatrical feature animation, uh, all from completely different places, all sort of originating from different camps, all owing a certain debt to Yellow Submarine going back to the Beatles. I'm glad we could bring that back around. <laughs> um, um, Ringo Rain Supreme. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a good balance between like children's story and cultural anthropology, or even like a faux nature documentary at times. Uh, particularly those wonderful interstitials with the the wildlife on Yigam, uh beyond the alms and uh, drugs that I, I really appreciate. Uh, and I think it's it on that level is where it I find it to be the most effective. Um, is in, in like flipping through an old like a book from the nineteenth century on uh, and um on like biology or that sort of thing that catalogs in insects and has like beautiful illustrations of them uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, they're kind of alien weird because uh, maybe they're working with a corpse or something. Like they don't feel quite correct uh, in a way, uh, anachronistic. Um, but I, th I think it's really effective on that level. And then obviously if you drill down deeper, there's uh, levels you, you get out uh, of the film, kind of what you bring to it in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and movies that do that are good and cool. I like that. <laughs> um, uh, commenting on the uh, score by Alain, Gore Alain Goregel, um, which I, I really like. Uh, it's repetitive. It's a little repetitive. I know uh, some critics have commented on that, but I think in the con, uh, that's more of an issue if you're listening to it on its own. And even then, I've listened to it on, on its own quite a bit. It's a good movie score. <laughs> uh, um, 
it's fairly experimental a lot of fuzz guitar uh some minimal synths but it's 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 funky um you know really so it loves way. guitars okay good yeah you got it um uh, it spends a good deal of time uh, showing us what life is like for the domesticated and feral ohms. It has pretty established, immediately establishes their sort of subhuman status, uh, especially with that violent, chaotic death of Tara's mother in the film's opening, which I, I really like uh, as an opening to a movie. Um, Did you also like Bambi? Like uh, okay, so it's very distressing. Like, I don't, I don't like it in the sense that it, uh, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm not a monster, uh, but it is very effective. Also, uh, this just occurred to me uh, because of the Beatles connection. But much like Yellow Submarine, this movie opens with a giant blue hand attacking people uh, because of the giant deadly glove in Yellow Submarine. The Beatles so much. <laughs> just wasn't expecting it. Sorry, but no, that's it, a, no, no. It's just a really effective opening. Um, uh, even like discussing the headset, um, like in terms of uh, like a like a narrative device of granting the albums a certain amount of literacy of the of Yigam that they would not be privy to either way, and of uh, stealing knowledge from the oppressor, you know, uh, the mortal man stealing fire from the gods, kind of thing, almost uh, in uh, the mythological sense, and that almost children's story quality um, to it. Uh, that's really cool but also i just like it as a as a visual device and a device for just like deploying fun science fiction concepts uh just sort of this these dry readings of uh like what the ohms are like uh their their history their strange like mortal god who was killed uh they're, they're so fun to just hear like what the ohms uh, the mythology of the drogs or even uh we, the brief bit we get about the ohms in their home world which is de depicted in those stark uh uh just like micron pen drawings on white that looks like they just photographed some storyboards but uh it's really cool um uh it's again uh got a lot of like wry kind of pitch black humor too like it's it's a funny movie at times uh in a way i i really like the weird monster that's like in a cage uh, and has a big, like, uh, nose with a bunch of uh, tendrils at the end of it that just, like, grabs these weird flying fish things and just shakes them to death. Like, it's not eating them or anything. It's just a, a thing designed for cruelty. Uh, what a horrible thing. Uh, I, I hope it dies. I hate it. Uh, it, it makes me not a fan! It makes me profoundly upset. But it's also so absurd that I can't help but be like, that, like, laugh? I don't know. It's just, it elicits... A lot of weird responses. Uh, also, I, I think it is worth noting that, uh, like Tanner said, like this is the movie where if you found it flipping flipping on TV, it'd be a weird one. I watched this movie like I think I started like ten minutes in. I think it was on Turner Classic Movies when I was like ten or eleven. I was very young when I first saw this film. Uh, it was very disorienting. You were watching um, Turner Classic Movies at ten. Uh, I would flip it on, and there was a God. Uh, you're like, so fucking just... cool. <laughs> I think I've just been owned. I think, I, I, think Tanner just, just, I think Tanner just publicly destroyed me. I'm sorry. I meant that genuinely. I think I, I've been killed. I've been, been deomized. Try to compliment your friend. Accidentally humiliate him. <laughs> no, I thought it was. I think it's very funny. Let me be clear. But that was the perfect response. Thank you, Tanner. 
Uh, but no, uh, I just, I really love the absurdity of all the weird, like, creatures and all the, the horrible ways they, uh, like, kill each other uh, on Yagam. It's a, it's a weird, harsh planet, uh, even beyond uh, the, the terrible relationship between uh, the, um, the Olms and the Drogs. Uh, and I think it's it's really exceptional. Um, for, for this uh, episode, I ended up revisiting Lelo's uh, f- full body of work, and I, I do think it is kind of readily the best thing he's done. As someone who has a, has a fondness for Time Masters and uh, enjoys Gondahar m- maybe more than I should, uh, I don't know. It's not a great movie, but I, I have a decent, I have a solid time with it. Uh, and his, uh, of course, his vast library of well, not even vast, uh, is a uh, decent-sized library of short films are all uh, pretty darn good, and I like them. They're good and cool. Um, but this is probably uh, his most exceptional work, and I enjoy it a lot. Uh, but now I'm going to take a brief, brief ad break here um, uh, and then uh, transition neatly into discussing animation, visual design. Ooh, my favorite part. <laughs> uh, so enjoy the advertisement. Welcome back. Another ad. Moviepalette.com. Go there. Buy a piece of art. Buy a custom piece of art if it's not already there. All the primary colors of scenes from your favorite movie. Your least favorite movie. A movie you think's just kind of okay and you watched it at like 1pm on TBS that one time. All dogs go to heaven too. And (laughs) if you get it, Use this code SQUAD15 for a discount on it that gives us some affiliate change. Back to discussing Fantastic Planet. Planet. It's funny that's what the movie's called, considering just like the last five minutes of the movie takes place on it. Yes. Rain. What are your thoughts on the film's animation and visual design? All I have to say um, (laughs) is I wanted to mention the music is also great, like some of y'all already mentioned. Uh, it's very much of its time, clearly, but uh, in the best way, and it definitely complements the visuals, which are also great. But, uh, I, love, I love that Ethan asked about the visuals, and you immediately go to an auditory. I like, I don't have any, I'm not an animator. Oh, Rain has since the CJ. I don't have anything to say about the visuals, so I was like, I'll just go to the audio. Did you say it's synesthesia? Yeah, it's just synesthesia. I'm sorry, can you continue? I agree. I, I love I love Goyega score. It's super good. Uh, they they released an expanded one like this year, I think. So if you want to listen to more tracks that aren't in the movie proper, listen to that soundtrack album. It's great. Tanner, thoughts on the film's animation and visual design? I don't know what more I can say that I didn't already say in my overall thoughts because I admittedly forgot this was a question. Um, Everyone does. <laughs> Sorry, I forget that you have more than the first two questions. Um. It's beautiful. I think the minimalism, if anything, is um, in a very weird way, uh, it draws you in to the movie more because you're able to focus on these finer details that kind of linger on the screen more, which allows you to sort of like really admire and appreciate what the animation and then the film in general is trying to convey visually. Um, And I think that is a strength of this more minimal animation type that you're able to focus more on these types of details. And that's really my only takeaway that I didn't say before. Yes. No, that's completely fair. Yeah, that is sort of a quality of um, it's sort of lingering on individual elements a bit more is that you can appreciate them. And they're a bit more finely detailed than you'd expect from a lot of other animated films just because of a quality of production that I will discuss later. Tim, overall thoughts on the film's animation and visual design? Yeah, I mean, I kind of talked about it a little bit 
earlier, yeah. but um, yeah, it's, I think it's a great uh, use of minimalism, kind of like what Tanner was just saying. Um, I think uh, that helps you like really get to look more closely at like all of the crazy designs that they have on display. Um, like one thing I, I want to mention is like that sequence at the end where like they're trying to escape and um, the the drugs are killing them in all of these different ways. I think like the way that they animated all of these different like killing techniques is like very fascinating to watch. Like it's awful, but like it's it's very interesting conceptually, and uh, I think the way that they're animated uh, really enhances like what you're getting out of that. Um, and yeah, just overall, um, really, really solid. I think it's able to convey a lot of really interesting stuff with, um, the way that they go about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, completely fair. I think the, um, the, the mechanical stuff, you don't see a lot of mechanical design such as it were in this film, uh, but the end spotlights a lot of that. Those, those horrible rolling like balls that seem to have no external apparatus that are designed to just, uh, squash them or that weird yeah. uh, rocket ship that spits out um blasts of light that stain metal uh what a weird cool idea like it's not making like a like a spritz like it's shooting paint or something it makes that like whoom kind of sound effect uh yeah. and i love that that's so weird and cool yeah, uh like and specific awful and specifically the ones that like come to my mind are like those things that are shooting out all those little like pellets that gas people to death um, and then also, uh, that like vacuum thing that sucks people into spikes. Like those are yeah. just really interesting visually. Yeah. They're all, all strange. They have this weird, again, this weird quality of, they feel like, like horrible contraptions that would be devised in like the 19th century, uh, mm -hmm. in like some sort of awful popular mechanics. Like this is the kind of thing, like, it, it's very like panopticon core like it's like some awful utilitarian is figuring out the, the best most horrible way to kill people without any mm -hmm. regard for uh scientific plausibility um uh and it's it's dreadful but uh again also like weirdly naive uh in a way that's uh it makes it more unsettling in a way mm -hmm. uh on imo <laughs> um but uh, Austin, your overall thoughts on the film's uh, animation and visual design. Do you think any of those machines from the end influenced that third act of The Thief and the Cobbler that got cut from, like, <laughs> the, 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 most of the releases of The Thief and the Cobbler? Have you ever seen that that thing? Oh, it's been, it's been a while. I'm not going to lie. Thief and the Cobbler is an interesting movie because there's, like, a couple of releases of it. There's, like, a heavily cut version, an American, like, Miramax Harvey Weinstein version, and then the original intended recobbled version. And there's, like, the death count between the three is really funny because it's, like, oh, five, ten, five thousand people die in the original version. The third act is just a lot of contraptions fucking murdering people. Well, it's, it's more so just a bunch of henchmen getting destroyed, but still... Uh, one thing I wanted to note about Fantastic Planet, there's motion blur in the opening sequence of Tear's mother running from those huge blue children. Motion blur on, like, just the trees in the foreground. Uh, I haven't read as much about this movie as Ethan has, uh, but seeing motion blur on those branches flying by makes me assume that something akin to go motion was used. Uh, go motion is a photographic technique 
where you either like quickly move an element right as the camera's taking the picture, or you put petroleum jelly on a glass plate near the camera and make, to make shit blurry. Uh, there's a couple ways to go about it, some objectively cooler than others. The actual term, like, go motion, though, was invented by Phil Tippett when he was at Industrial Light and Magic working on The Empire Strikes Back. That's how the AT-ATs or whatever have the blurry legs. And also the, the big robot from RoboCop, the ED-209 or whatever. Uh, but according to my shoddy internet research, uh, the Polish-Russian animator, Ladislaw Sterovich, Ladislaw Sterovich? Fuck. Uh, was simulating motion blur in his animation as far back as the early 1920s. And guess where that bastard was working when he figured out how to do this? France! Coincidence? I think not. Back to you, Ethan. Yeah, it's really remarkable how he was able to do that um, in a lot of his films, uh, uh, particularly uh, L'Homme and Renard, The Tale of the Fox, which is a, a great movie. I, um... I, I jokingly refer to the one of the techniques he uses. I, I think this might be the motion blur too, uh, um, for his puppets. Uh, I, it's a stop motion smear. So a smear is like when like a frame just sort of like you just make it a big blob that snaps between distinct key positions. Um, so he does a stop motion smear, which is functionally just yeeting the puppet off screen um, and recording it live. Uh, it's incredible. I think it, there's probably something to do with f-stop, but it's it's really remarkable in um, uh, or like expo exposure length. Uh, my apologies, I, I'm bad with cameras. That wasn't obvious. Uh, um, and uh, I, I think it's really remarkable how they're able to achieve that effect. I have to imagine it's something to do with um, them being able to like shift focus uh, or something. Uh, just be able to shoot it out of focus. Uh, something. Sorry, I'm, I'm reviewing the footage. I'm reviewing the tapes, and uh, it is. I'm. I want to figure out how they did that now. It's going to mess with me because I was like, oh, I had an idea. And now I don't. This sucks. <laughs> Thank you, Austin, for ruining my day. I, I don't. It's think simple. They used computers, Ethan. Yeah, I was about to say, actually, <laughs> I don't think they had those motion controlled, like digital fucking piston things that Phil Tippett was using. So it's a mystery. Ah, the French, you know, ship. Uh, they figured something out. Computers. They invented CGI without telling anyone. Yeah. 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 I believe it. Happens all Jerry the time. Tenka himself. Uh, no, uh, they, they gave the, the cutout some LSD. It distorted their vision. Uh, this is how this works. I'm boring. That wasn't obvious. I love you, Ethan. Uh, thank you. The exasperated sigh. I love it. Great. Overall thoughts on the film's animation and visual design. Yeah, I want to talk about kind of the influence that like the minimalist animation of this movie has had on animation as a whole. Um, you know, the less is more approach with a little bit more stillness that allows more of a focus on the dialogue and the story. Uh, the influence of that can actually be seen on the last couple episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, and the use of extreme close-up shots with sometimes excessive detail to show like the grotesqueness of certain scenes, the influence of that can actually be seen in SpongeBob SquarePants. That's uh, what I was, was thinking really as soon as you started saying that. <laughs> and if yeah. you can't tell, I'm being completely facetious, but back to you, Ethan. <laughs> no, no, those are, those are very, very good polls. I, that's a good bit. I appreciate it. Um, 
Uh, goodness. Uh, so, I, I guess I'll just transition to my own thoughts uh, before I have a breakdown. Um, like you have it uh, already. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, Fantastic Planet's visuals are absolutely its most striking quality. Uh, there are very few films that come close to what it's doing, at least in the space of feature animation. Uh, Topor's designs are strange, uh, often juvenile and absurd, uh, but rendered in this anachronistic style, evoking, again, the woodcut illustrations of late 19th century in particular, um, with their hatching lines, particularly the often uh, considerable use of varying weight uh in the the pen strokes you can usually see like where he's pressing down harder and almost flourishing at the end of a pen uh pen stroke it's really really interesting uh, but more than anything the way those um sort of 19th century illustrations contrast with the science fiction setting uh in a way that uh, very effectively disorients the viewer um <clears throat> it also employs this, this uh, muted palette too um and with the weird general off-kilterness of the anachronism uh, blends the grotesque and absurd uh, in a way that characterizes a lot of his art. If you look at his material, um, it's, again, um, often ab absurd sort of scenarios, him just trying to pick at ideas as much as possible um, to generate the something sort of weird and disorienting and disquieting. Um, uh, particularly his sort of like barren landscapes almost he likes to flop his figures down in like simple hills and i'm sure it's not just because he's lazy and does all of his drawing in the summertime and no other time uh, uh but uh the result here is really effective imo it uh, creates this uh wonderfully uncanny quality uh that permeates the entire film uh but roland topor didn't do anything in the animation studio uh, he just he contributed a lot of designs. He did actually contribute extensively to this film in a lot of ways, but he didn't do any of the actual animation or the making of the um, figures in it. Uh, that was handled by the artists in Prague, as helmed by Rene Lolo. What's up, Austin? Ethan, tell them why he didn't go to Prague and help with the movie. Uh, because his mom said, "You shouldn't do that. It's a bad idea. Don't get mixed up in movies." And he was like, "Sorry, I'm not. I'm not doing cartoon movies anymore." And instead, he made the wise decision of work of working with Roman Polanski. Oof. Oh, he wrote *The Tenant*, uh, which uh, Polanski adapted into a film. But he was also in *Nosferatu* as Renfield, apparently. Um, *Nosferatu*. So <laughs> there we go. Bring it back to SpongeBob. <laughs> Hey. Uh, the Werner Herzog Nosferatu, to be clear. He did not time travel. Um, <laughs> that we know of. True. Uh, but of course, uh, yeah, he didn't do anything. That was all the artists in uh, Prague at the, uh, the Jiri Turnkast studio, which apparently was not named the Jiri Turnkast studio at the time of production. So it's the, the studio that would become the Jiri Turnkast studio, because <laughs> I don't have a name for it, weirdly enough. Um, but in uh, Prague, in the Czech, uh, current modern-day Czech Republic, then Czechoslovakia. Um, so, sort of explaining the process, uh, they would, uh, for this film, they use thin sheets of Bristol paper and colored ink uh, to bring to life uh, a lot of Topor's designs as paper cutouts um, instead of uh, cell animation, what we would think of, you know, characters being inked and paint, painted. Instead, they're using, you know, uh, a paper doll style, but... Uh, that's the other interesting thing uh, about this work is that instead of using hinged cutouts uh, like those used in previous Lolo directed animations or the works of Lodi Reiniger, uh, each pose is its own separate cutout figure 
the result is far more fluid animation than what you would typically get with paper cutouts. Uh, but it also introduces a host of like logistical complications that make retaking shots and making sure the movements are smooth way more difficult. Uh, traditional p pencil tests, as we would consider them, uh, become a non-option. Um, and the end result is something sort of between stop motion and cell animation, uh, which is something that had been employed previously um, in a lot of early animation, like pre-cell animation. Um, or, you know, in countries where it was highly limited, uh, particularly um, a lot of early Japanese shorts will sort of employ brief sequences of that style where they're using individual cutouts in between bits with the hinged one guys. Um, uh, but uh, to my knowledge, it hasn't been employed exclusively and for a feature because there's no real hinged cutouts. Uh, and that's really cool and impressive. Um, and so what ends up happening too is that the animated forms have really strong outlines too because they're literally paper being placed on top of a background um uh which uh is primarily what separates it in my opinion from Tapor's concept art aside from being literally brought to life and animated because um if those earlier sh short films are any indicator Tapor was no animator <laughs> um uh because they are you know hinged dolls in those films uh basically um and so you have these bold outlines and more saturated colors uh, that diverge wildly again from uh, Tapor's original illustrations and give it this almost comic book bande dessinée quality that will characterize a lot of Lalo's later films. Uh, it just looks super good and distinct and pops on the screen in a way that I think uh, just Tapor's drawings uh, don't. Uh, and again, we have examples of that in Le Ascago and uh, Le Temor, uh, which um, are very muted in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, again, it adds to the psychedelic quality of the film too, having those more saturated colors and it's just super attractive um and even if the film can sometimes be unintentionally silly uh, or the movement uh, a little awkward at times um uh, it's still highly unique uh, and is the key factor in generating that otherworldly ambience that really defines fantastic planet in my opinion um but that's all our time uh, i'm gonna let you guys go uh but i have had a ton of fun talking about Fantastic Planet, and I want to got, give you guys the opportunity to just throw in some final thoughts uh, before I throw the plugs, as always. Tim, final thoughts. Hey, kids. Do you watch Attack on Titan? Do you want to watch a story about people rising up? Against... Shut up, Tanner. Do you want to see a story about, some... about people rising up against their giant oppressors, but good, actually? Then watch Fantastic Planet. Back to you, Ethan. Hell yeah. Dan, final thoughts. Uh, really interesting score. Uh, brilliant visually. Uh, really relevant to the current moment in time. Uh, there's so much more to the allegory that I would love to unpack, but we simply don't have time for that. Um, this is really a movie you can dissect seven ways to Sunday and still have eight more Sundays that you can dissect with it. So, yeah. Back to you, Ethan. The fuck did I just say? Dissect? It Many people smart. are dissecting this. Right. Final um, thoughts. I haven't seen Attack on Titan, but from what I understand about Attack on Titan, uh, Tim had a great ending, so I'll just copy-paste his ending. Yes! <laughs> As was it, I didn't know... I, it's was... time to attack on Titan. Austin, final thoughts. I can just guess how many people in the Netherlands are shaking in their boots because this movie exists. Think about it. Statistically, they're the world's tallest people on average. Look it up. And you know what? 
if enough people watch Fantastic Planet, one day we might rise up and finally destroy the Dutch. Back to you, Ethan. I thought it was just tall people, in which case, uh, Shaq, I'm coming after you. I'm going to beat you like Aaron Carter did. I'm really bringing it back. R.I.P. Dutch, Drog, both start with a D. It makes you think. <laughs> D's, Drogs. Hmm. Drog? Drog sounds like drug. Oh. oh. I'm making connections all over the place. Lauren, final thoughts. Can you just, like, surround me in watermelon emojis? I would really appreciate that. Let's go. Uh, Fantastic Planet is a remarkable, uh, wonderful experiment. Uh, it straddles the line of political allegory, children's film, science fiction, fantasy, adventure, horror, and even comedy. Uh, it's a really visually distinctive work of art uh, that possesses a certain clinical coldness that might off-put some viewers. Uh, but I think that's intentional. Uh, and for what it lacks in warmth, it more than makes up in its weird, lurid visuals and dreamy score. A wonderful effort from Lolo, Tapor, Goregel, and the talents at the Turnka Animation Studio uh, that comes highly recommended from me. Um, but now I have to do the the, uh, the fun bit, actually. This, this bit's good. I would like to thank Lauren once again, uh, offer one more opportunity. Uh, if you want to point anybody towards any social media things um, or uh, projects that um, might be on the back burner for now. Yeah, I mean, if you want to follow me on socials, uh, my handle on everything is at Lauren Doritos on account of Doritos rhymes with DeVito, which is my actual name. Um, I have nothing to plug right now. I'm not doing comedy right now because I got hit by a car and I can't find a way to make that funny yet. But as soon as I think of a way to make that funny, you know, I'm going to do it. Uh, love your thoughts and prayers that I get a nice big settlement check and maybe one day I'll be motivated to write some more material. Heck yeah, we're we're all thinking and praying for that large settlement check. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you offered some re remarkable insights uh, and uh, just really incredible commentary. And we can't thank you enough for bringing that to the table. Uh, you delivered so eloquently, uh, and it was well, much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Um, uh, now for to pivot from uh thoughtful, earnest discussions of how film might relate to current events. Uh, for all of you watching slash listening on YouTube, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, uh, leave a comment to boost us in the algorithm. Uh, who do you side with? Uh, Ohms? Are you team Ohm or team Drog? Uh, or team Don't that one weird guy that, who dude. shakes things to death? Uh, uh, if if you are uh, Team Drog, we will uh, remove your account and block you. Let me be clear. Uh, this is, remove this your is a... account from YouTube. Yes. I will call my friend Jonathan Google. Uh, and uh, he'll... Uh, redacted. 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 Um, redacted. Redacted. Uh, be sure. To... <laughs> yeah, you get it. Uh, be sure uh, to check out the version on Spotify uh, and all the other various audio podcast platforms because uh, we are also there. Um, and uh, if they those services offer the ability to leave ratings, be sure to give a high one, uh, five stars, give them a comment there, same as usual, uh, and give us some money on Patreon. Do it. Do it. We need it, clearly. We're all going deranged. We're all stir-crazy. <laughs> um, 
But uh, more than anything, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you've gotten this far, uh, if not, then uh, uh, no thank you, I guess. I guess I'm not thanking you by dint of you not listening to this. I'm getting existential now. I hope you enjoyed this recording that is longer than the feature that we're discussing. Uh, and tune in next time for Tokyo Godfathers, an absolute must-have for your DVD collection. Bye. <laughs>